we're in a series here that's focusing on being Jesus. And uh, we're going to talk today, it's about a, a teaching that I think is going to just prod us a little bit further in understanding what it means to be Jesus in the earth. Do you realize that you are the only Jesus that many people will ever see in a given day, in any moment? You are his hands, his feet, his mouth, his personality. You represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's delve into that and see what God has for us. Will you pray with me, please? Father, we just thank you again for this precious day that you have given us. This indeed is the day that you have made and we rejoice and we are glad in it. Thank you for this, your beloved and my dear ones that are here. We thank you for the beautiful leadership of this fine congregation. And we just thank you for the mission that you have us on, the calling that you have given us. Will you give us now clarity of thought, continuity of thinking, and accuracy of the text as we share. And Father, help me to teach in such a way that even a child would be able to embrace the powerful revelation that is given to us through your word. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, before we open up our Bibles, and we're going to do that in just a moment and also view the scriptures on the screen, I want you to do something for me. I want you to just go ahead. A lot of times we come to church and we'll sit next to people and we'll sit a whole hour and a half and not even look at them and hardly speak to them. All right. We'll sing to the back of their heads. All right. Well, we're not going to do that this morning. We're going to make sure that we have some communication that's going on. And if you ever come down the hill to Center of Praise in Midtown, you will find that the congregation talks back to me. They help me teach. All right. So I found out after last uh, last evening's uh, gatherings, the two gatherings we had last evening, which were wonderful. God did some tremendous things. I found out something I've got to teach you all here at Bridgeway, and that's how to say amen and talk back. All right. All right. I'm just making sure I'm in the right place. All right. I help you all with that a little bit, but I don't think we'll have a problem with this crowd. But will you do something? Turn to someone on your right or on your left, in front of you, behind you, and don't look at their eardrum. Talk to them directly in the eye. <laughs> directly in the eye. And say it like you really mean it. All right? Say these words. Here we go. Here we go. Repeat after me. What are you all doing over there? <laughs> Repeat after me. <laughs> say these words. Say, my friend. Say it again, my friend, you are not normal. <laughs> You're looking at each other like, you didn't have to tell me that, I already knew that. You are not normal. We're going to talk a little bit about that because in essence, we're not normal. We are not normal. In fact, we are very much called to live with distinction. As believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're called to live as those who are his disciples with distinction. We're not normal. We're not normal. And often we have this impression that we are to be like everyone else and experience this thing called life as everyone else, and we build this, what I believe, this emotional and social construct that seeks to foster assimilation to the culture or to the mores of society. And we often miss that God calls us to something much deeper than that. In fact, such thinking leaves little place for the distinction of our faith as those who are followers 
of Jesus Christ. This teaching today is going to focus on the man John the Baptist, or more properly stated, John the Baptizer. He's referred to many times in our discussion as John the Baptist, as though that was his denomination. He's called John the Baptist because he baptizes. Okay? So we're going to really draw from understanding that John the Baptizer serves as a wonderful example of what it means to exemplify living beyond the norm. We're designed, and hear me on this, in this place, Bridgeway Church family, we're designed to shake things up. Okay? We really are. We're designed to shake things up. We're not designed as believers just to make people comfortable. We're really designed to shake things up. And not, listen, not turn the world upside down. It's already upside down, but turn it right side up. That's what God has called us to do. So we're really going to focus on that. And on your bulletin, there's a little fill-in there at the top. I want you to fill these in because our pastor has done a wonderful job at bringing this out in this series. And we want to just follow right along with this. The bottom line is this, that first blank, disciples. Disciples don't do what, here's the second blank, everyone else does. Disciples don't do what everyone else does. We are distinct. We're not normal. Our learning objectives are as follows. You might want to jot this down as our notes just to give us some guidance on this. Here are our learning objectives. Number one, we want to review the context of John the Baptizer's interface with the ministry of Jesus. We're going to find out that the Apostle John, who writes the Gospel of John, He writes of John the baptizer and gives us some information that the other Gospels don't seemingly give us. In fact, if we read the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're led to believe, or we would think without further study, that Jesus' ministry begins after John has been placed in prison. Not so. We're going to find out through our text today that there was a time that that ministry overlapped. In fact, the time that we read the account in just a moment is six months after Jesus has been baptized. Six months after Jesus has interfaced with John the baptizer. And for a short amount of time, their ministries will overlap in their presentation. We'll read that in just a moment. Number two, our learning objective will be to identify characteristics of a, here's the word, change agent as observed through John the baptizer. What do change agents look like? You're going to be challenged to understand that every one of you in this room, we are called to be change agents, not just fit the status quo. But wherever we go, there's something that changes. The atmosphere changes. The the environment changes. Something is different because a believer is in the house. Here's the third thing. We want to contextualize the application of living beyond the normal. What are some characteristics or what does it look like to live outside of the scope of normal? What does that look like? 
Let's read our text here together. I'm going to read and you follow along in John 3, verse 22 is where we'll start. And uh, we'll also have it up on the screen. You can follow along. It's a little bit of reading, so just follow along and be patient with me as we begin. Here begins God's word in the scripture, verse 22. It says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. I want you to note here that in the passage it says that he remained with his disciples. This is speaking of Jesus. And he was baptizing. Most who study this would suggest that for just a moment Jesus was not himself Baptizing. Later on, we find there's a passage that references that Jesus baptized no one except his disciples. But in essence, he was supervising this baptism that was going on in the water, and his disciples were doing the baptizing. So it says here, John also was baptizing at Anon, uh, near Selim. Because water was plentiful there. So see, we see this overlap taking place here. Both are baptizing generally in the same area. And people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. John had not yet been put in prison. So prior to his imprisonment, which we'll reflect on in just a moment, we find that John is baptizing as he had been. And now we find the disciples of Jesus, and Jesus is supervising them. Jesus also is leading his disciples in baptizing people. There's, again, an overlap of ministry. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. I want you to watch this. We have the disciples of John the baptizer coming in context, in contact rather, with a man who is of Jewish belief, and he comes in and he has a discussion with them over the subject of purification. And they came to John, this would be John's disciples, and said to him, listen, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Now isn't it interesting that, I don't know if you've ever met people that uh, they, they, they have a challenge with something that's going on and they will find a way to kind of buddy up to you so that you'll have a challenge with what's going on. It's, it's, it's kind of a little um, manipulation that goes on here. And, that, and that's really what's happening. You have this man who's watching this, and the discussion starts out with talking about purification. And then all of a sudden, the discussion kind of switches over, and he possibly introduces to the conversation of John's uh, disciples, you know, uh, what about that fellow Jesus up there? You, you see how many people he's baptizing? It seems like he's got more, that he's baptizing more than you all. And they go back and have a conversation with John. And they say to John, uh, John, Rabbi, uh, Jesus is baptizing more people than what we're baptizing. And it's really a means of posing conflict or jealousy or envy. And beloved, to be honest with you, we've got some of that that goes on in the body of Christ today. We really do. There, there are some people, believe it or not, there are some people that would dare to sit and observe how God is blessing here and doing a wonderful work at Bridgeway. And there's some folks probably sitting at another congregation, another church this morning. Oh, you know, all those people are running over there to Bridgeway. <laughs> I can't believe all those people are going to Bridgeway. You know, 
As, as long as we were part, as long as they were part of our little congregation, and, and, and now Bridgeway's offering this and offering this, and they feel like Bridgeway's the best thing since butter hit toast. <laughs> now, truth be told, and I'm going to get back to the text in a moment, but as long as Jesus is being preached and people are being helped, who gives a rip what name is on the building? Whether you go to Bayside, whether you go to Adventure, whether you go to First Baptist, whether you go to this church or that church center or praise or wherever, as long as God is being glorified, he's not concerned about what the name is on your building. That's the bottom line, beloved. And so you have this conversation going on and they run up to, to John the baptizer and thank God that John the baptizer is led by the Holy Spirit because note his response to them as they come to him with this, may I add, this foolishness. And they come to him and John answers, a person cannot receive, any, uh, receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. In other words, the only way you can do what you do and people be blessed is that God has got to have his hand on it. You yourselves, he says, bear witness that I said. He said, I told you, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, listen to what John says. This joy of mine is now complete. Even while the disciples are talking to him, the disciples of John are talking to John and trying to put into his mind that uh, there's something wrong with his ministry. There's something wrong with what God is doing uh, through him. God seems to be doing more through Jesus and more through the Messiah. And his days of ministry are just about over. So just get over it, John. While the enemy is trying to plant this into his mind, notice here that John's response is, my joy is complete. My joy is complete. He uses the analogy. Uh, Jesus is the bridegroom. And Jesus is the one who is receiving his bride. He says, I'm just the friend of the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. In other words, Jesus is the groom. I'm the best man. And if any of you ever go to a wedding, you know it works like this. If you're standing there and the best man is standing next to the groom and the bride is coming down the aisle to get married and the bridegroom is standing there ready to receive his bride, if you have a best man that leans over and whispers in the ear of the groom, you know what? I'm just so mad that you're the one that's getting married today. It should be me. That should be my wife. Then we got a problem. We got a big problem. It should have been me getting married today. And you got the wrong best man. You understand what I'm saying? Notice here that John says, I'm the best man, but he is the groom. And he says, my joy is complete knowing that the bridegroom is here. Hallelujah. And note what he says here. It's so interesting. He says, my joy, right this very moment, even while you're talking, even while you're talking, is complete. And then he says these words in verse 30. He, speaking of the bridegroom, Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. He's got to increase. In other words, it's his time. And I've got to back up and decrease. 
That's someone that is secure in their calling. That's someone that is secure in their mission. Someone is secure in what God has called them to do. Give you an example of that. As I told you, I pastor a church called the Center of Praise. I've pastored that church for 25 years. We actually planted that ministry 25 years ago with 12 people. It was 10 people, myself and my mama. <laughs> I tell people all the time, when God spoke to me in 1982 that I would return from Tulsa, Oklahoma, back to Sacramento and would plant a church called Ascender of Praise, I uh, did not plant it until 1989. But while God was speaking that into my heart, and I've never heard God speak to me audibly, but He was speaking it in that, my spirit, that I would pastor a church that would be a place for all people, regardless of their ethnicity, their church background or unchurched background, their social economic background, and uh, th- that God, He said, I will be in the midst of the people and in this I am well pleased. The first thing that came out of my mouth when God spoke that to my heart was, Lord, who's going to come? And where would they come from? And then I remember asking God, who's going to come? Is it just going to be me and my mama? Because I figure your mama will go when nobody else will. (laughs) You know, your mama's going to make sure. I want to make sure my baby don't get embarrassed. (laughs) So it was myself, my mother, and ten other individuals, and God has now grown that ministry. We're, we're seeing God do some tremendous things, over 3,500 people that have come to know the Lord and are serving God. Now, 25 years later, just about two years ago, the Lord clearly speaks once again to my heart and says that, Son, now I need you to understand that in year 25, you're to step aside as the pastor of that church. You're to step aside, and in the next two years, this was two years ago, in the next two years that are in front of you, you are to train and raise up a young man that will take the ministry to the next place that God has designed for it. Now, I wish I could tell you that immediately my response was, oh, yes, Lord, hallelujah. Lord, I received that word. Praise God. Lord, you are so good. Thank you for telling me that after pouring my life into this ministry for 20-some-odd years that I'm to leave it and I'm to let somebody else lead the ministry. Thank you so much. And then all of a sudden, I, I, I had that coming out of my heart that, God, I'm not sure I want to do that. But as God has blessed us with a tremendous young man, 37 years old, that loves God, even as I'm standing here, he's teaching the people and blessing the congregation, and the people love him. I'm recognizing that it is time for me to decrease so that the work of God can increase in him. Sometimes, beloved, you just have to know your season and know your time and know when it's time to step back so that God can press things forward. And that's how John was. John knew that it doesn't take anything away from me. It doesn't take anything away from me. In essence, it fulfills what God has called me to do. My joy is complete. My joy is complete. It fulfills God's purpose and His plan for my life. We need more believers that would be like that. Know your place. Know your season. Know your timing. And be willing to decrease so that the work of God can increase. Because how many of you know when God uses someone else and blesses them to go up, we all go up with them. We're all increasing with them. Amen. That's a hand clap right there. We all go up together. In other words, there ought to never be any haters in the house. We celebrate what God is doing through one another. It doesn't take anything away from me. We celebrate that. 
when I sit with your pastor and we get a chance to have lunch together and celebrate what God is doing. I don't sit there with my lips all poked out looking like a frog in the face when he begins to tell me how God is using him here in Rockland. God called him here to be a blessing to Bridgeway and a blessing to the Rockland community and Roseville and Lincoln and so forth. I don't sit there and try to figure out how I'm going to plant a church in Lincoln. Are you hearing me? I'm not trying to. Well, I think we're going to plant a center of praise in Lincoln. Why would I plant a center of praise in Lincoln when there's a bridgeway right here on Sunset? Glory to God. Now, it would help if y'all had a Hammond B3 organ over here. You understand what I'm saying? It would kind of help there. (laughs) Well, y'all got some drums, though. I have to admit, y'all are doing something with the drums. But again, we learn where God positions us and we celebrate what God is doing in our lives. Let me read on a little bit in this passage a little bit more because I think it's very important. He who comes, this is what John says, he who comes from above is above all. If he who... Uh, He who is on of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony, listen to what he says, sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives, I like this, he gives the spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Is there anybody that's glad in the house today that you and I have eternal life? Eternal life. Hallelujah. We embrace that. We have eternal life. There's another passage, and I won't necessarily have you turn there, but I'll just... uh, quickly just mention it. It's found in Luke chapter 3 and verse 19. And this actually moves a little bit further ahead in the story or in the account. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 19, we have here the account in which John is actually locked up in prison. This takes place after the account we just read in John. In Luke, it talks about he's locked up in prison. You'll notice on the screen, I've kind of taken the liberty of adopting what Pastor Lance has been using, kind of this combo pack idea where we have uh, in Matthew the words in orange that are added to give us more understanding of the text. And also in Mark, we have that in green, how it's brought out in, in, in the letters in green to bring out again more information, the different perspectives of how these men of God saw what was happening. And it talks about the fact, and I'll just abbreviate we have Herod who is married to a woman by the name of Herodias who in essence is his niece it is his brother's wife and uh, her first husband is still alive the Mosaic laws that basically said the Mosaic law said that two brothers could not uh, a brother could not marry his brother's wife unless the brother was dead well uh, Herodias Uh, husband is still alive but through some political mingling and adulterous affairs he ends up taking Herodias as his wife again I don't have time to get into all the implications of it let's just clearly put it like this I'll put it to you like we stated in the hood it is a royal hot mess you understand (laughs) just a hot mess okay just a royal hot mess (laughs) 
And uh, he ends up marrying this lady. And uh, she is so enraged against John the baptizer because John is basically sharing with Herod, you're living in sin. You're committing adultery and you're doing all other kinds of things that are evil. That was just the top of the iceberg. There were some other things he was doing. And John the baptizer confronts him. He confronts him. He says, man, this is wrong. And you can only imagine how Herodias felt, uh, uh, Herod's wife. She literally wants to sign. Listen, she wants to affirm her marriage certificate on the death warrant on the back of John the baptizer. But John is spared for a short amount of time. His life is spared because Herod continues to hear him. He has a respect for him even though he doesn't understand what's coming out of his mouth. Can I say something to you? There are people that will challenge us in our faith and challenge us in our beliefs But the one thing that I must say to you, regardless of how much they challenge us, regardless of how much they might be angry about what's coming out of your mouth, if you and I take the boldness to do what God has told us to do, there is a level of respect that everybody must demonstrate and show towards us. Even the person on your job, and this happens all the time with me, I go into the barbershop, and uh, the barbershop I go to is in the middle of Oak Park, and... uh, There are, uh, I'll just put it like this, Uh, there's a lot of street (laughs) that comes out in the barbershop. And so when I come in there, they've got all kind of music playing. I mean, there's some things that come out of that box that's playing the music that I'm just appalled at what it's talking about. I mean, it just gets out there. The minute I'll sit down and they'll start cutting my hair, then all of a sudden you'll see the barber turn around and go over to the radio and start changing the station. (laughs) And then there's, there's times some guys will come in and they're just cussing up a storm. Blank, ad, blank, ad, blank, ad, blank. I kick this blank, blank, blank. <laughs> and then you'll see the barber go over to him and say, oh, man, ch- uh, chill, chill. I, 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 got, I, got, I got the preacher in the chair. <laughs> I got the preacher in the chair. Now, it makes things uncomfortable. It really shakes things up in that barbershop for the hour that I'm sitting in that chair. But there is a level of respect that's there. I'm going to tell you, people ought to feel uncomfortable about telling nasty jokes around you on the job. If they feel comfortable talking to you about little nasty jokes and a hee-hee, a hee-hee-hee, and they feel comfortable doing that, then that means something is wrong with your testimony. There ought to be somebody that say, oops, excuse my French. It ain't French, but excuse my French. There ought to be somebody that's around you that says, you know, I don't necessarily agree with what you believe. I don't necessarily agree with how you live your life, but I have to respect who you are because you are a woman or you are a man of character and integrity. That ought to be the testimony of every person that is in this room, wherever you are. It ought to shake things up enough that people say, I may not agree with it, but I must respect it. That means you and I have to emulate And exude something that gives people a reason to want to believe. Because who are they going to go to when they have a loved one that's sick? They're going to go to the person that says, I believe God is a healer. Who are they going to go to 
when a person is sitting there going through their marriage problems and their challenges. And it's not that your marriage is any better, but they notice that even when you go through your challenges in your family with your wife or with your husband or with your children, they notice that there's a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. There's a part of you that just keeps on pressing your way and believing God. You're, they're noticing that you, you pray for your husband, you pray for your wife, you pray for your children. And that, that when trouble comes, isn't it interesting that when trouble comes, some kind of way it draws people out to want to come and seek you out as God's vessel of care and support. Can I submit to you that I believe there's some things that we have to do that I believe help us to be change agents. You might want to write this down. I believe these are the characteristics of a change agent. And we see this with John the baptizer. Here's the first one. Here's the first one. Humility. Being humble. One of the characteristics of a change agent is that we're not arrogant. We're not cocky. We walk with humility. Now hear me. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. There is an authority and a strength that comes with knowing that it is not who you are, but it's God working through you that humbles us. And in our humility, we carry ourselves as John the baptizer did with humility. I must decrease so that God in me may increase. I must decrease. It's not about me. It's not about how great I am. It's not about how special I am. Truth be told, I miss the mark every day. Truth be told, I fall short every day. But thanks be unto God who gives me victory. Thanks be unto God that I confess my sins before him and he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It's not arrogance. It's humility. It's humility. The the reason... The beloved, that I stand before you today and I share with you as passionately as I'm trying to do uh, is that it's in me to do that. And I, and I have to give you the story on that. A lot of you are not aware. I've shared this maybe a couple of places publicly. But I, I share passionately about the things of God and who God is because there was a time that I was a stutterer and I stuttered until I was 17 years old. I could not state my name in a clear fashion. It would take me five minutes to tell you a complete sentence or my name. I couldn't even look you in the eye. I couldn't even, I couldn't even hold people's attention. By the time I start talking, they'd ask me a simple question, and about halfway through, they'd get disgusted and walk away. But at the age of 17, as Jesus Christ became the reality of my life, he loosed my tongue. He loosed my tongue and gave me a passion for the things of God. And now I can look anybody in the face. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what kind of car you drive, what kind of position you have in the community. I can look you in the face, but with humility say that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the same God that has touched my life, he will also touch your life. The same God that has transformed my life will also transform your life. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. And I'm going to be honest with you. And I don't apologize for being a man of God. I don't apologize for loving Jesus. We do it with humility. 
Here's a second characteristic of a change agent is flexibility. 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 However God wants to use us, it's not about my show. It's not the Parnell show. It's the God show. God, you rule. However you want to use me, I'm flexible in your hands. I belong to you. If you use me this way today and you decide to use me another way tomorrow, it's all about you. It's all about saying yes to God. Being flexible as a change agent. Give you an example. I was sitting there and I was thinking about this because many times in my own schedule, in my, you know, times of just being busy, busy, and busy, busy, there are times God says, I want you to do this. I want you to go here. I want you to take time and pray for this person. A lot of times I'll be, for instance, the other day I was sitting there in Walmart and standing in the store and a lady came up and she said, oh, I recognize you from being on television. And I said, yes, that's, that's me. I pastor in Midtown. She said, yeah, I watched the television broadcast. And she came up to me and she said, this is what's going on in my family. And would you just pray for me? Now, the, the tendency would be because I'm in a rush. You understand? I'm trying to get out of Walmart. <laughs> I'm in a rush. The tendency would be to sit there and nod my head like a bobblehead. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. I'll be praying for you. God bless. <laughs> or I can do what I had to do the other day is be flexible because if that woman has approached me in the store and said this is going on with me, I don't wait and take it down as a prayer request. It's my time to stop right there and pray for her. Be flexible enough to say, you know what? Let's just stop right now. Can we pray? Can, let, let's just pray right now. Let's believe God right now. Now, see, some of you looking at me like, what? Really? Right there in Walmart? Absolutely. Right, absolutely. Right between the, the, the deodorant and the shampoo. Just join hands right there and just begin to pray. And be flexible enough to allow God to use you right there. Okay. Humility. Flexibility. Here's the third one. Boldness. Everybody say boldness. Ah, one of the characteristics of a change agent is not only are we humble, not only are we flexible, but we operate with boldness. Can I tell you something, family? You never have to be afraid to share your faith. You never have to be afraid to share your faith. It's amazing how we'll sit there and we'll talk about the, the Mormons that ride their bicycles you know, and we'll say, look at them. Oh, just look at them. Look at them. Look at them. Look at them. And we'll sit there and we'll talk about the Jehovah Witnesses. And when they come to our door on Saturday morning and ring the doorbell, we'll hide and act like, you know, we're not home. Shh, be quiet. Dog, don't bark. Cat, don't mouth. We want to make sure... Isn't it amazing? We'll talk about folks in such a way about what they do. And hear me. We will sit there and not be willing to do for the truth what many do for a lie. They're bold with what they do. But we who say we have the truth, that he is our God. He is the only wise God, and beside him there is none other. We keep it quiet under wraps. Secret service saints. <laughs> Shh, don't 
tell nobody. <laughs> and God calls us to be bold with our faith. Listen, I'm going to show you a way you can be bold today with your faith. When you go to eat your dinner, eat your brunch, out in public, go wherever you go in the restaurant. How, why is it? Why is it that we feel like uh, in, in, in our family it is our custom to give thanks for the food that God has provided for us? So we're basically called upon to bless our food in, in our home. We pray over our food and we say, Lord, we thank you for this food. And we typically get all the stuff that we're not supposed to eat, put it on the plate and say, God, remove all the impurities from it and <laughs> take all the calories out of it and all that, you know. But we'll pray over our food. But when we go to the restaurant, instead of feeling inclined to give thanks for our food publicly, we'll sit there and drop our head, and we don't want anyone to know that we're believers, so we'll take our little napkin, our little napkin, and Lord bless this food. I had a roommate in college, my first three years of college. His name is Tony. Tony was the exact opposite. I hated going to restaurants with Tony. I really did. <laughs> Tony's this guy. He's so on fire for God, so enlivened in the things of God. He answers his phone. When you call him, this is how he answers his phone. When you ring his number, if you call him today, here's how he answers his phone. He'll say, praise the Lord. <laughs> I mean, Smud is calling. PG&E is calling. Praise the Lord. So we go to a restaurant, and I made my mistake. The first year he became my roommate, I made my mistake. I said, Tony, we were in a restaurant. Uh, one of them nice, fancy, expensive restaurants, real fancy. I mean, upscale, you know, Denny's. We were sitting there, and we were sitting there. And I said, bless the food. And we bowed our heads to bless the food. And while we were bowing our heads, I said, Tony, you bless the food. And Tony, before I could hear him say anything, I hear this glass ringing with a knife on the side of the glass. Ding, 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 ding. He says, to everyone that is in this restaurant, my roommate and I are getting ready to give the God who is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings thanks for the food that He has prepared for us and I want to invite anyone and everyone to join us. I was up under the table. I was like, Amen. I can believe it. But he was bold. Y'all hear what I'm saying? He was bold. A characteristic of a change agent is that who's walking in humility, flexibility, but also boldness. And, and lastly, empowerment. A change agent walks with authority and power. You have power. Did you see what John the baptizer says? He says that Jesus gives of the spirit without measure. You know why he gives of the Spirit? He gives of the Spirit without measure so that you can do the things of Jesus. So you can do the things. Listen, he doesn't give the Spirit without measure so you can just feel goosebumps. He doesn't give the Spirit without measure so you can say, oh, I just feel so good. I just feel so good. He gives the Spirit without measure so that you can be Jesus in the earth. So that we can do the work of Jesus in the earth. The other day, a couple, of week, a couple of Sundays ago, we had a man that attends our church. His name is Brother Eduardo Sanders. And Eduardo Sanders had a massive stroke. Massive stroke. 
His daughters called us to the hospital. And by the time we got to the hospital, by Sunday night, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday and Friday, each day, sometimes two and three times during the day, the doctors were telling us, he will not live. He's going to die. Prepare for his funeral. The way that the stroke has hit his body, he cannot survive this. We're going to put him on a ventilator. And we're going to see what we can do to run this test and this test. But he is not responding. He will not live. That's what they told us. But I believe there are times that God wants somebody just to have some faith and be one to step in as a change agent and say, I know what the doctors have said. I appreciate the doctors and I appreciate medical science, but there is a physician who's above all physicians. Oh, hallelujah. And so we went in, and the minute we walked in the room, there were people standing around there, and they're looking kind of down, and the family's looking kind of down and kind of sad. And I walk in, and not with an arrogance, not with a cockiness, but with a confidence that God has given us authority. And I'm walking in, holding my head up, and I'm smiling, and I'm talking, and I'm sharing. I said, we're going to pray. And I laid my hands on him, and we all began to lay our hands on him and began to pray and say, Lord, we just set ourselves in agreement. If it's time for him to go to heaven, we'll accept that. But, Lord, we're going to allow our faith to trust you that you can raise him up. That was on Friday. On Friday night, the man opened up his eyes. Not only did he open up his eyes, he was sitting there recognizing everyone. I just got a call on yesterday. They have released the man from the hospital to rehab. The man is doing good. God is... Y'all didn't hear what I just told you. The man has been released out of the hospital to rehab. And is alert. God gives his people authority. He gives us power, power to speak over your family and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. Even if you've got a child that is strung out on drugs, even if you've got family members that are going through a divorce situation, even if you've got situations financially that are happening in your home and in your family members' home, you have been placed as an agent of change. You're not normal. You're not normal, beloved. You've been placed as one to say, I believe God. There's nothing too hard for my God. Is there anybody besides myself that has seen God do too many things? You've seen God work too many things out. You've seen God turn circumstances around that at this point you have no other choice but to believe God. Is there anybody in the room besides myself? You have no other choice but to believe God. Let me say this and then we'll just close. Y'all know I stay here all day and preach. (laughs) I stay here all day. Don't have a problem with it. But let me give you this real quick. Let me give you some things that will help you to understand what it means to live beyond the normal. Because in Mark 1, we're going to find that John, after being arrested, Jesus now begins to move forward up towards the north. And he expands in his ministry. John has been in essence, arrested, and the southern region, things are going to get hot. There's so much opposition that's taking place that Jesus is going to move his operations further up north into Galilee and begin to minister there. Let me give you some things that will help you to understand the importance of what I just said. First of all, living beyond the normal, here's how we practice it. Number one, we are different, write this down, we are different on purpose 
for a purpose. We are different on purpose for a purpose. We're not weird, but we are God's kingdom agents. We are different on purpose for purpose. Number two, we are holy because our God is holy. We are holy because our God is holy. I grew up in a background where we used to think holiness was what you wore or didn't wear. That's what we call holiness, ladies. In the church I grew up in, they said holiness, that uh, you couldn't be holy uh, unless you did not wear makeup. You, if you wore makeup, you weren't holy. No makeup, no jewelry. Make sure that you don't cut your hair. Leave it just like it is. We were holy and ugly. They had had a rule that the ladies couldn't wear open-toe shoes. No open-toe shoes because open-toe shoes could be sensual. So I never could find out what somebody's unpedicured nails would do to send me to hell. You understand what I'm saying? You couldn't wait anyway. How many are glad that we're not holy because of what we do? We're holy because of what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. We're holy because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We're holy because our God is holy. Number three, he gets the glory and he gets the honor. How do we live beyond the normal? By always saying, Lord, you get all the praise and you get all the glory. And here's the last one. We stand for what is right. We stand for what is right. Can I tell you, it's going to cost you to stand for what is right. I'm going to say it to you, Bridgeway. I came to tell you, it's going to cost you to stand for the things of God. If you just want to be nominal, it won't cost you much. You just want to be, just kind of fit the scope of everyone else, even many people within Christian faith, then it won't cost you very much. But if you're going to take a stand to believe that God is calling people to a higher living, a way of living that honors Him and glorifies Him, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. But here's the good news. I've got a feeling that everything's going to be all right. I've read the end of the book, and we win. We win. I did. I tried to go from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, but then I said, let me go to the end of the book and see what it's, how does this thing work out. And in the end, we win. No matter what comes, we win. Listen, some of you are going through the greatest opposition you've ever faced in your life. Can I give you some good news? It's not because you're out of God's will. It's because you're in God's will. The adversary, the attack is coming because you're doing what God has called you to do. And here's the good news. The enemy can only knock you so far back. The opposition can only knock you so far back. I tell people all the time, check yourself out. If you are living this life, you're going to bump head to head with the devil. And if you don't, that means you might want to check yourself. You might be walking with him. But when you are doing the things of God, you will face persecution. Jesus said, you will be hated. There will be opposition. But it can only push you so far back before Psalm 23 says that goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. If I'm going to get pushed back, I'd rather get pushed back in the arms of mercy 
and goodness every time. I came to tell you that everything is going to be all right. Just do what God has told you to do. Walk with flexibility. Walk with humility. Walk with boldness and walk with power. It is your heritage. It is your legacy. It is your calling. Give God the highest praise and blessing tonight. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give God praise. Hallelujah. Come on, don't panic. Give God the high praise. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Stay on your feet. I'm going to pray and we're going to go. I tell you, this is just so exciting. Woo! Y'all going to mess around and I'm going to have to get me an office up here. I don't know. Great Lord. Hallelujah. This is powerful. God's hand is on you. You're not normal. You already knew that. But now you really know that. You're not normal. Lift your hands with me just as a sign of surrender before God. Not as a ritual, but as a surrender before Him. And just say this with me. I surrender all. I surrender All to you, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I surrender all. Do you mean that? Come on, let's declare it. I surrender all, all to you, my blessed Savior. I surrender all, all to you. Father, that's our heart, that's our prayer, that's our commitment. Thank you that you have called us to live with distinction. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for what you are doing in our lives. Help us to be as John the Baptizer, that we will walk with humility, flexibility, boldness, and empowerment, so that all will come to know you. It's all about you. We must decrease that you may increase. Thank you, sir. Keep those heads bowed. And there may be someone here that would say, Pastor, I've never received the Lord in my life and declared him to be Lord of my life. And today, I want to confess him as my Savior. I want to be on the Lord's side. I want to know him, not for religion, but for relationship. 
You're here right now. Right where you're standing. Right where you're standing. I'm not going to call you up front. Just where you're standing. If you say, Pastor, pray with me. I want to receive Jesus. I want to no hoops to jump through. Just a simple confession of faith. If that's you, slip that hand up. And just right there with every head bowed, just slip that hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to receive the Lord. I want to know him as my Lord. Yes, someone else. Lift that hand up. Don't be afraid. I'll pray for you right there. Lift it up real high. And we'll believe God. God bless you. Someone else, lift your hand up real high and say, pray with me. I want to receive the Lord. I want to know him as my Lord and my Savior. Someone else? God bless you, dear. Yes. Thank you. Someone else? Now, I want everyone to pray this prayer with me. And you pray this out the depths of your heart. Everybody praying together. Let's say it together. Lord Jesus, I come to you right now with my whole heart. I believe. Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross, was buried for me. I could not pay the price. I thank God for Jesus. And right now, according to God's holy word, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, Jesus is Lord and God the Father has raised him from the dead. Everybody lift those hands one more time. Say, come in, Jesus. And right now, I say, Jesus is Lord. Let the house give God praise and bless him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you prayed that prayer today with us and there were hands that went up in this room, everybody can answer this. Where does the Lord live right now? He lives in our heart and he lives to stay there forever and ever. And listen, you prayed that prayer today. Make sure that you connect with some folks here at the Bridgeway family. We've got our community room that's going to be open in just a moment. And you find anyone that's got a badge on them and you tell them, I received the Lord today so that we can get you connected and growing in the things of God. We're so happy for you. Are you all glad you came to church today? All right. You got to go. Hug somebody. Give them a great big hug. Get on out of here and reach the world for Jesus. God bless you as you go.